I'm Jordan, and this is Medieval. Last time, King Clovis's conquest laid the mighty foundations of Francia. In northwest Europe, the Frankish tribes are united as one. They are a force to be reckoned with. 511 AD and Clovis dies, losing much of the influence that the Franks had over the small kingdom of the Burgundians. The Burgundian territory falls into the hands of King Gundobad. In the north, the territory of Francia is divided between Clovis's four sons. However, Italy in the south is still under the dominion of Theodoric the Great. Understanding the dynamics and importance of these rapid and complicated changes in bloodlines and territorial control is the hardest job for a historian of the early medieval period. Where the Western Roman Empire used to stand, Gothic and Germanic tribes now rule. However, the East survives the migrations and onslaught of the fall of Rome. It still thrives as an urban center. The Eastern Roman emperors reigned from Constantinople over Greece, the Black Sea, part of Turkey, Syria, and Egypt, trying to survive these troublesome times. But even though the empire as it used to be had fallen long ago, it is due to a brief but glorious return. It was one of the greatest deeds in the history of the Roman Empire. It was called Justinian's Reconquest or Restoration. Salus Populae Suprema Lex Esto. The safety of the state and its people is the supreme law. Confined to the eastern territories, the emperors lamented the loss of their western provinces. Seeing the new barbarian rulers as unfair invaders, they continued to eye up Italy, believing it was still rightfully Roman. Nearly every eastern or Byzantine emperor has given some reconsideration to a conquest of the west. As it happens, however, Justinian was the one to put those plans into action. Justinian was a man of humble origins, born in 482 in a small village called Teresium in what is now Macedonia. He probably arrived in Constantinople following his uncle Justin, who was a military officer. Justin ascended to power quite rapidly and was the first to concretely think about a retake of the western lands, but he was an old man, having become emperor in his 70s. He couldn't ride a horse or swing a gladius, let alone lead his legions into battle. With Justinian inherited the throne, however, he grasped this idea with great valor and determination. In the eastern capital, unfortunately, tensions were rising. A political issue relating to the war with Sassania was brewing. Justinian's campaign lacked funds, so the retake remained just a dream. The war against the Persians had already started when Justinian ascended to the throne. However, military action would only commence in 530 when the Roman army, commanded by the legendary general Belisarius, won a great victory near the city of Dara. The war ended two years later, and an eternal peace was declared. In the same year, a dispute between two circus factions exploded into a massive revolt. A great part of Constantinople was burned down by the people and they got close to get the emperor himself. Just on the verge of complete anarchy, Belisarius took action and managed to end the riot, killing all the rebels in a major bloodbath. The stage was set. 
Justinian managed to secure a peace of the Persians, freeing his army from the Eastern Front. The massacre of the rebels created an aura of terror around him and his generals, so no one would dare to challenge his authority. The burning and devastation also gave him an excuse to wage war in order to get funds for rebuilding Constantinople. Justinian immediately looked to North Africa and Western Europe for a target. In 530, the Vandal King of Africa, Ildric, was disposed by his Aryan cousin, Galima. This was a great excuse for Justinian, and in 533, he declared war and sent Balsarius with a great army. Part of the Vandal army was in Sardinia, dealing with a revolt, so Galima tried to reorganize his troops and ambush the Romans near Adesium. It was his only possibility because his army was superior in number, equipment, and skills. His plan failed miserably due to lack of coordination. His brother died and Galimia was forced to flee for his life. Belsarius had won a great victory. The next day, he entered Carthage and the population willingly opened their gates and handed them over to the Roman army. This victory was a step in the right direction, but the war was not won yet. Galimia was still alive and was mustering his troops ready to mount his attack. All he needed was for his army in Sardinia to return. It was December when Galimia attacked Carthage with a great army. It was superior to Belsarius' defense. They fought at Tricamerum, and the Romans won again, largely because of Galimia's incompetency. With the Vandals having surrendered, Galimia made an attempt to flee Spain. Immediately, he was blocked in a mountain fort, and at last surrendered in exchange for his life. After more than a century of North Africa being controlled by the Vandals, Belsarius went back to Constantinople in triumph in order to set the stage for the next step of the restoration. Next, the capture of Italy. Since Theodoric the Great's death in 526 AD, dynastic disputes had taken a grip of the Ostrogothic Kingdom of Italy. In 535, the Queen of the Ostrogoths, Amalasunta, who was an ally and friend of Justinian, was betrayed and imprisoned by Theohad to get the throne for himself. Justinian catched this opportunity and he declared war. In the same year, Belsarius easily occupied Sicily. Next year, he attacked southern Italy, besieging and taking Naples, then marching on Rome. The gate was wide open for his army, and the Ostrogoth garrison surrendered immediately. Shortly after, the Ostrogoth general Lutherum was sent to Constantinople to give to the keys of the Eternal City to Justinian. What a triumph! A great feast was prepared and the control of the city was handed over in a glorious ceremony. Part of the Western Empire has been restored. Rome was back in Justinian's hand and his dream was now complete. However, in Italy the situation was not so bright. Teohad was murdered and the new king, Vigis, prepared a massive counterattack to defeat the Roman army. Belsarius ordered to repair and improve the fortification of Rome and prepared to be besieged. March of 537, and the enemy Ostrogoths arrived outside the walls with a massive army. Prepared for a long siege, they mounted their camp and set up their tents and siege equipment. It would be a lengthy wait. For the first stage of the siege, Rome seemed to have the upper hand. They were able to repel various Gothic incursions, and the enemies were unable to scare the numerous layers of mighty fortifications, many of which were centuries old. 
Roman troops were even able to sally out of the walls and repeatedly defeated the Goths in hand-to-hand -hand melee on the open field. But as the summer neared, the Ostrogoths finally got a grip and managed to entirely block off the city. As food and water rations began to run out, the garrison suffered. In response, Belsarius ordered his troops to raid the encampments of the enemies, effectively turning the tables. Winter arrived soon, and a great number of Byzantine reinforcements arrived under General John. Belsarius sent John to raid and conquer northern Italy. The plan was to scare Vitiges into thinking that another Byzantine army was about to besiege Ravinia. And it worked. As soon as John approached Artinium, Vitiges hastily dismounted the camp and raced north. However, Belsarius ordered his troops to leave the city and charged the enemy troops down in their retreat. A few hours later, hundreds of Gothic corpses would litter the plains, their scarlet blood seeping into the dirty grass. Belsarius proceeded to raid, destroy, and capture a plethora of fortifications across Italy, closing the gap with Ravenna incredibly fast and choking the enemy as they ran out of the territory to hide in. By 540, the siege of Ravenna had come into full swing. Belsarius managed to close every entrance and ordered a tight aval blockade to be set, in order to take the city by starvation. Desperate, the Ostrogoth nobles offered him their kingdom. He faked acceptance but once into Ravenna, arrested Vitiges and occupied the city with his troops. He then sailed back to Constantinople. With the Ostrogothic kingdom shattered and its capital in Roman hands, Justinian sent Belsarius to defend against the Persians. In Italy, he appointed the general Narses, who was a fierce opponent of Balsarius. At his arrival in Italy, he was not welcomed by the other generals who were loyal to Balsarius. They refused to cooperate with Narses. The new Ostrogothic king, Badulia, better known as Totila, adopted a new strategy instead. He chose to avoid long sieges and lengthy battles and rather roamed the countryside. He attacked small forts and holds, raiding and pillaging to hamper the Roman supply chain. This process of breaking down their infrastructure severely damaged the Byzantines and their morale. Totila defeated the Romans at Verona and proceeded to take the city after city, almost taking back the entire kingdom. The situation was so dire that Justinian had to send back Belsarius in 544. Unfortunately, new reinforcement soldiers could be sent with Belsarius to Italy. They were greatly needed to fight against the Persians. Therefore, Belsarius had to make do with the few and damaged legions in Italy, who were also divided over the general's disputes. He asked repeatedly for reinforcements, but they only arrived in 546 and in small numbers. Totila had nearly taken Rome. In 548, Belsarius was called back to Constantinople. Totilian was now free to do everything he wanted, since there wasn't an army who could oppose him. He took Rome in 550 after the treason of the Isaurian soldiers. With only a few shattered holds remaining in Byzantine control, Italy basically fell back into Gothic hands. We're not done yet, but I'd like to take this moment to briefly tell you about my revamped Patreon page. It's now a monthly subscription, and the higher the subscription, the more bonus episodes and other rewards you get every month. For $5 a month, you get to see all new episodes three days early and listen to one bonus episode every month. Or choose a different option. It's up to you, but your help means the world to us and allows us to keep making more and better episodes. 
In 551, Justinian finally ordered a full-force expedition of 25,000 men, guided by Narses, to defeat the Ostrogoths and put an end to the war. In 552, Narses crossed the Alps and met Totila in central Italy. The battle was a decisive Roman victory, and Totila was killed. In the same year, Narses defeated and killed Totila's successor, Tia, at the Battle of Latari Mountains. Narses in the following years swept the remaining patches of resistance, but at this point Italy was well secured in Roman hands. A conquest of southern Spain against the Visigoths also gained more territory for the Byzantines. At this point, Justinian's dream to reconquer Italy had been mostly accomplished. The aftermath of the Gothic War is often seen as a Pyrrhic victory by historians of the early medieval period. Soon, the Lombards of Langobards will invade Italy and dominate numerous territories, greatly hampering the Byzantine influence over Italy. But that's a story for next time. Thanks to all my Patreons who have made this episode possible, and if you want to listen to a bonus episode, please consider pledging at patreon.com slash medievalpodcast. That's all for today, but we'll see you soon for more episodes of Medieval. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.